is as though something has happened in the motorcade route. Something, I repeat, has happened in the motorcade route. There's numerous people running up the hill alongside Elm Street, there by the Simmons Freeway. Several police officers are rushing up the hill at this time. Stand by. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. This is just in from Dallas. Homicide Chief Captain Will Fritz said today the assassination case against Lee Harvey Oswald is cinched. He said flatly, this is the man that killed President Kennedy. 24-year-old Lee Harvey Oswald. Welcome to the end of innocence. I'm your host, John Young. Edwin Anderson Walker was a United States Army Major General who served in World War II and the Korean War. He became known for his staunch conservative political opinions and was criticized by U.S. President Dwight D. Eisenhower for promoting personal political views while in uniform. Walker resigned his commission during 1959, but Eisenhower refused to accept his resignation and gave Walker a new command of the 24th Infantry Division in Augsburg, Germany. Walker again resigned his commission during 1961 after being publicly and formally admonished by the Joint Chiefs of Staffs for allegedly referring to Eleanor Roosevelt and Harry S. Truman as, quote, pink in print and for violating the Hatch Act of 1939 by attempting to influence the votes of his troops. President John F. Kennedy accepted his resignation, making Walker the only U.S. general to resign during the 20th century. In 1962, Walker campaigned to become governor of Texas and lost the Democratic primary election to eventual winner John Connolly. In October 1962, Walker was arrested for promoting rights at the University of Mississippi in protest against the admission of black student James Meredith into an all-white university. During this riot, during which 35 federal marshals were shot and two people killed, General Walker shouted, quote, This is a conspiracy of the crucifixion by Antichrist conspirators of the Supreme Court in their denial of prayer and their betrayal of a nation, end quote. Walker also believed that Martin Luther King Jr. was a communist and accused the entire civil rights movement of being, quote, pro-Kennedy, pro-communist, and pro-socialist, end quote. Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy ordered Walker committed to a mental asylum for a 90-day evaluation, but the ACLU and his psychiatrist protested along with riotous groups, and Walker was released within five days. Attorney Robert Morris, in early 1963, convinced the Mississippi Grand Jury to acquit Walker. According to Walker, one of the many ways in which JFK was a weak president was his policy on Cuba, where Fidel Castro ruled over a communist nation in America's backyard. 
Walker not only wanted the U.S. military to remove Castro, but openly called for the communist leader's assassination. Lee Harvey Oswald lived just a few minutes away from Walker in Dallas in a rented duplex that he shared with his wife Marina and their baby girl. The assumption of the Warren Commission, and it's just totally an assumption, is that Oswald, who supported a pro-Castro movement, saw Walker as a direct threat. Walker was somebody who had a lot of connections and authority in worlds that Oswald imagined existed. The Warren Commission would say Oswald was a malleable figure who had a hair-trigger personality. He had read about General Walker, heard him speak, seen him in person, and Walker's hostile position on many things, including Cuba, lit a fire under Oswald. For a loner like Oswald, who had a lot of anger, the Warren Commission believes that a polarizing figure like Walker stirred him into action. On the evening of April 10, 1963, Edwin Walker, who was at his home in Dallas, was sitting in his study when a bullet entered his house through a window frame and struck the wall close to his head. General, will you describe for us just what happened last night? Well, the police from the city came in to investigate a rifle shot that was fired into the house fired through the west window and hit the cell and hit the wall across the room and went through the wall over the desk at which I was sitting. Well, there's an enemy within this country, and of course it's the same enemy that uh, represents the position that we should do away with the House and american Activities Committee, that we should destroy our local police forces, and that we should uh, do away with our military forces. These are the, uh, you might say, the anti-Americans as far as our traditions, heritage, and constitution are concerned. And there are plenty of them in this country in spite of the federal government's position that there is no uh, threat from within. There is a threat from within, and this uh, is just further indications that uh, there is a threat to our individual rights and liberties. What do you propose to do now? Are you going to go out... Uh making out your tax reforms at that same desk or doing work in your house as usual? The house will continue as usual. There will be no change, except that we'll uh, double our efforts in every area. And this only indicates the necessity for it. It's been interesting to note that uh, as a result of our tour from coast to coast, there's been much respect to uh, what's been said on this tour. The people are very much interested and quite upset across the land. It's very indicative that they are not being properly represented in Washington, D.C. The assassination attempt on General Edward Walker remained unsolved until shortly after the assassination of President Kennedy when the FBI's report presumed that Lee Harvey Oswald was the culprit. The Warren Commission, unable to determine Oswald's motive for shooting President Kennedy, seized on the attempted shooting of General Walker as evidence of Oswald's murderous tendencies. For more than two months after the Kennedy assassination, Marina Oswald was held at the Six Flags Inn in Arlington near Fort Worth, where the Secret Service and the FBI interrogated her and threatened her with deportation to the Soviet Union. She produced several statements incriminating her husband, including the claim that on the evening of the attempted assassination of General Walker, Lee Oswald had gone out, leaving a handwritten note which explained in Russian what she should do if he were arrested. When Oswald returned, he admitted to Marina that he had shot at Walker. Marina Oswald reported that she, quote, asked him what happened, and he said that he just tried to shoot General Walker. I asked him who General Walker was. I mean, how dare you to go and claim somebody's life? And he said, quote, well, what would you say if somebody got rid of Hitler at the right time? So if you don't know about General Walker, how can you speak on his behalf? End quote. Came in 
through statements attributed to Lee Oswald's wife, who is still in seclusion, being questioned further by federal authorities. She's reported to have told them that one night last April, Oswald returned home and boasted that he had shot at Walker. There was such a shooting last April. That much is fact. Here is a police officer that night who rushed to Walker's home. He's examining the hole made in a window frame of Walker's second floor study. The general was sitting at his desk making out his income tax return. The bullet missed his head by inches, bore through a nine-inch wall, and settled in the adjoining room. Walker was spattered by wood and glass splinters, but not seriously hurt. Police here searching the yard the following morning determined the bullet came from a high-powered rifle not more than 75 yards away. Just who fired it is not yet proven. Here's what Walker said at the time. Yeah, and this uh, is just further indications that uh, there is a threat to our individual rights and liberties. That was Walker last April 11th, the morning after the apparent attempt on his life. He is quoted now as saying he knew nothing about Oswald until Oswald was arrested in the killing of President Kennedy two weeks ago. Oswald's mother said today she knew of no connection between her son and General Walker. The mother also vowed her son's grave would not be moved despite threats it might be desecrated. Meanwhile, the investigations continue, but the state court of inquiry has been postponed until the presidential commission finishes its work. He was so pale, nervous, and don't want to talk. I said, what happened to him? And he said, he told, I tried to shut General Walker. And I asked him, who is General Walker? And he told me he was fascist. And I asked him if he had wife and children. He said, no, he's single. I said, but this does not make a difference. And he told me if uh, Hitler was shot before war, this was better for most people. On the night of April 10th, she says he didn't come home at all. At about 10, he still hadn't come home. She was worried. She walked into a room, his study, which he told her never to enter. And there on his desk, she saw a sheet of paper with a key lying on top of it. Lee wrote to Marina in Russian. Here is the key to the post office box. You can throw out my clothing, but as for my personal papers, I prefer you keep them. I left you as much money as I could. He then explained where to find the jail. And she had no idea what he'd gone to do, and she was started to shake all over. That evening, someone fired a single shot through the window of General Walker's study. Looking the situation over, back there, 40 steps behind me, is a... General Walker lived to tell the, the tale. Side, a bullet crashed through the window and just missed me. And it felt much grit and dirt in my hair. And my arm was laying on the desk, and it was bleeding in three places, which turned out to be fragments from the shell casing. Later that night, about 11.30... Lee came in, white, covered with sweat, and um, looking quite wild in the eyes, and he said, I shot Walker. The Walker case would not be resolved until after the Kennedy assassination, when Marina told her story.
The Warren Commission was aware that many of Marine Oswald's statements were contradictory and unreliable. One of the commission's attorneys, Norman Redlick, wrote in a memo to J. Lee Rankin that, quote, neither you nor I have any desire to smear the reputation of an individual. We cannot ignore, however, that Marina Oswald has reportedly lied to the Secret Service, the FBI, and this commission on matters which are of vital concern to the people of this country and the world, end quote. Redlick expanded on this when testifying before the House Select Committee on Assassinations. He said, quote, She may not have told the truth in connection with the attempted killing of General Walker. I gave Mr. Rankin a lengthy document. I indicated the testimony that she had given, the instances where it was in conflict, end quote. While Marina was producing this incriminating evidence, an interesting coincidence occurred. Ruth Payne, with whom Marina had been staying with at the time of the assassination, sent her a Russian language book. Tucked inside the book was a handwritten note. This was not the only time Ruth Payne provided evidence helpful to the case against Oswald. A Minox spy camera had been found in her garage among Lee Oswald's possessions, but Ruth Payne claimed that it actually belonged to her estranged husband, Michael Payne. She also claimed to have found another document in Oswald's handwriting, this time a letter addressed to the Soviet embassy, which linked Oswald to a KGB agent in Mexico City. So was the Walker note authentic? The note was undated. It did not mention General Walker or any reason why Oswald might find himself under arrest. There are several reasons to doubt the authenticity of the handwritten note. One, Ruth Payne's home had been searched thoroughly on the afternoon of the assassination and again the following day when Payne claimed to have seen officers specifically looking for loose papers within books. The inventory of items discovered is 49 pages long but does not mention the note. Two, although the FBI's handwriting expert considered that the note was in Oswald's handwriting, only one of the three experts who were consulted by the House Select Committee on Assassinations considered the note to be authentic. And lastly, the Bureau's fingerprint expert found seven set of fingerprints on the note. None of them belonged to either Lee or Marina Oswald. There were no witnesses on the attempted assassination attempt on General Walker, but Walker's neighbors were alerted by the gunshot and saw two men leaving the scene. Each man got into a car and drove away. The witness, Walker Coleman, was able to give detailed descriptions of the men in their cars. After the JFK assassination, Coleman was shown photographs of Oswald. He denied that Oswald resembled either of the men he had seen. In any case, Oswald could not drive and certainly didn't own a car. Robert Shure, an associate of General Walker, reported that he had seen two men acting suspiciously outside Walker's house two days before the shooting. Neither man resembled Oswald. The bullet used in the attempted shooting of Walker was probably not the same type as those used in the JFK assassination. According to various newspaper accounts, the Dallas police claimed that the bullet was a 30-06 caliber. The bullet shells from the Texas School Book Depository were 6.5 millimeter. The Walker bullet was too severely deformed to allow conclusive analysis of its pattern of grooves. A spectrographic examination by Henry Halberger of the FBI laboratory found that the lead aloe in the bullet was different from that of bullet fragments found in the president's car. The Walker bullet had been fired from a rifle powerful enough to send it through brickwork, which the Manuel Carcano rifle was not. There is no evidence that Oswald ever had access to such a powerful rifle. 
Not only did the bullet and rifle have no association with Lee Harvey Oswald, but Edwin Walker was adamant that the bullet offered in evidence was not the one he had examined at the time of the shooting. Oswald's supposed motive for shooting at Walker was political. Walker was well known for his very right-wing views. He had been forced to resign from the Army for indoctrinating his troops with the ideals of the John Birch Society and for announcing publicly that President Truman, among other prominent American politicians, was a communist sympathizer. Although the alleged presidential assassin was officially supposed to have been a communist, the known facts of Lee Harvey Oswald's career show that he was closely associated with one or more U.S. intelligence agencies and that his pro-communist public persona was highly likely to have been a fake. With no plausible motive and no sustainable grounds for believing that Oswald was involved in the attempted shooting of Walker, and no strong evidence that Oswald was guilty of the JFK assassination, it seems that the Walker shooting was attributed to Oswald by the FBI and the Warren Commission purely to support the notion that Oswald was a leftist malcontent with a propensity for violence. So, were there any eyewitnesses who saw Oswald shoot at General Walker? The answer is no. There were no eyewitnesses who came forward and said they saw Oswald shoot at General Walker. In fact, nobody even said they saw Oswald at the scene of the crime or in the vicinity. The best witness to the Walker shooting incident was 14-year-old Walker Kirk Coleman. He lived on Newton, which was just north of Walker's house, and overlooked the Mormon church and parking lot. On the evening of April 10, 1963, he was at home standing in the doorway which led from his bedroom to the outside of the house. He heard a loud noise which he first thought was a car backfire. He immediately ran outside and stepped on top of a bicycle propped up against the fence. This allowed him to look into the church parking lot. The journey from the doorway to the fence would have only taken him a few seconds. Cohen was first interviewed by the Dallas police on April 11, 1963. He said he saw a man getting into a 1949 or 1950 Ford who took off in a hurry. He said he saw a second man further down the parking lot at another car bending over the front seat as if he were putting something in the back. When Coleman was interviewed again in June 1964, he provided additional details. He added that the first man was hurrying towards the driver's side of the Ford car. The motor was running and the headlights were on. He saw nobody else in the car. The man glanced back towards him. This time, Coleman said the car drove off at a normal speed. The second man was seen walking away from the alley entrance and towards a 1958 two-door Chevrolet sedan. Coleman confirmed his initial report that this man was leaning through the open car door and into the back seat area. Was he placing something there? Coleman did not notice if this second man was carrying anything as his attention was mainly drawn to the first man, but it was possible. Coleman provided a detailed description of both men. By this time, he must have seen many pictures of Lee Oswald and stated that neither man he saw on that night of the Walker shooting incident resembled Oswald. It is possible that these two mysterious men were leaving the scene because they also heard the shot and were naturally alarmed and concerned by it. The shooter could have gone down the alley in the opposite direction from them in the church parking lot towards Avondale Avenue. Sixty years later, the identities of the two men have yet to be uncovered. The attempted assassination of General Walker was big news, so it should have been important for the police to follow up on Coleman's first-hand testimony and try to find them. 
the men could have even come forward to eliminate themselves as suspects and help the police with their inquiries. They were there on the night and if not personally involved, surely saw what was going on. Keep in mind, two unidentified men were also seen acting suspiciously around Walker's house on April 8, 1963. Robert Shuri was a close associate of General Walker and had set up a publishing company with him. It was actually Surrey who was responsible for the Wanted for Treason leaflets distributed around Dallas at the time of JFK's visit. Were these the two men that returned to Walker's house two days later, and were they the same ones seen by Walker Kirk Coleman? Their identities will probably never be known now, which is just another mystery in this case that has so many. Further intrigue, as if we needed any, about the night of the Walker shooting is provided in Chapter 5 of Gail Nix Jackson's interesting 2016 book titled Pieces of the Puzzle. She tells the story of seeing a 2012 video interview with Robert Surrey's eldest son David. In the interview, David recalls being at the Walker's house with his father when the shot was fired. Father and son then went out to the car looking for the shooter. After circling the area for a while, Shuri pulled up behind the car and got out to speak to a guy who got out of his car. David Surrey said he heard his father ask the guy, quote, did you get him, end quote. The man replied, no, I missed him. Coleman and Robert Shuri's statements are important when assessing if Oswald was involved in the Walker incident or if more than one person was involved. Their statements are rarely told, though. The bullet that narrowly missed General Walker's head was retrieved by police on the night of the shooting. It was described in their report as appearing to come from a high-powered rifle and was a steel-jacketed bullet. Presumably, police officers are familiar with identifying different types of bullets. Early newspaper reports, including from the day after the shooting by the Dallas Morning News, also reported the bullet as a 30 6 caliber. They may have been passed this information from sources in the Dallas Police Department. Police officers also thoroughly searched the alley at the rear of the house from where the shot was fired with negative results. They found no spent cartridges or other evidence of value. If Oswald did take the shot at General Walker, he was obviously more careful about cleaning up the scene of the crime than he was allegedly when he shot at the President and Officer Tibbet. The Warren Commission claims on those occasions he left the rifle, cartridges, bullet casings, and a wallet behind, even emptying his revolver of the rest of its contents at the Tibbet scene. He may as well left a calling card. The police did identify the spot from where they felt the shot at Walker was fired, a lattice fence at the rear of the house and in the alley. This was a distance of roughly 100 feet to the spot where Walker was sitting. Walker's house was eliminated at night, so there is the obvious question of how the shooter could have missed, especially a quote, so-called sharpshooter like Lee Harvey Oswald. According to the Warren Commission, Oswald successfully pulled off a far more difficult shot and at a moving target seven months later from the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository. And in a way similar to how a German Mauser rifle morphed into an Italian Mamico Carcano in the hours following the JFK assassination, investigating authorities seemed to want to modify a 30-06 steel-jacketed bullet into a 6.5mm copper-jacketed bullet and then link it to Oswald. Remember that the bullet retrieved from the Walker house was very badly damaged and it was in a mangled state. This is how the Warren Commission would explain the Walker incident. They would say for weeks Oswald carefully plotted how he was going to kill Walker. Oswald staked out the narrow alleyway between Walker's house and found the perfect vantage point behind a five-foot picket fence. There's a picket fence again. He planned how, after the deed was done, he would ditch the rifle at some nearby railroad tracks, double back through a park, and take the bus home. 
Other than occasionally railing against Walker's fascism, Oswald didn't tell Marina anything about his plot. On the evening of April 10th, Oswald went off on another of his unexplained errands, but this time he left behind a cryptic note for his wife listing what she would do if he didn't come home. Quote, send the information as to what happened to me to the Soviet embassy and include newspaper clippings. Should there be anything about me in the newspapers, wrote Oswald. I believe that the embassy will come quickly to your assistance on learning everything, end quote. Around 9 p.m., Oswald was positioned behind the picket fence outside of Walker's house. He probably couldn't believe his good fortune. Walker was seated at his desk doing his income taxes, his head perfectly framed by the upstairs window just 120 feet from Oswald's rifle. Oswald pulled the trigger and a sharp crack exploded behind Walker's head. At first, Walker thought some neighbor rascal had thrown a firecracker at his window, but then the career soldier realized what was happening. He grabbed his pistol and ran outside, at which point he noticed blood pooling on his shirt sleeve from glass and the metal shrapnel from the broken window. The Dallas police correctly categorized the shooting as an assassination attempt, but their investigation turned up no suspects. Oswald retrieved his stashed rifle and likely fumed over the missed opportunity. It was such an easy shot, especially for a so-called sharpshooter marine like Oswald. If not for fate and circumstance, Walker should have been dead. What I find interesting is the Warren Commission claims that Oswald fired three very difficult shots at President Kennedy and struck two occupants in the car, hitting Kennedy twice, with one of the bullets a fatal headshot. But yet on the evening of April 10, 1963, he fired at General Walker from 120 feet, which was a relatively easy shot, and he couldn't even make that shot. But just like a lot of other things that were going on in Dallas in the fall of 1963, things just doesn't add up. What I have attempted to do in this episode is to briefly lay out some of the counter-arguments to the popular belief that Lee R.V. Oswald definitely took the shot at General Walker. Anyone who can say this with absolute certainty is either being disingenuous or has information and knowledge about the night of April 10, 1963 that has not been shared yet. Even after years of researching, I would not be so bold as to say that Oswald was definitely not involved in the shooting of Walker, either as the lone gunman or as a part of some conspiratorial plot. The truth is that nobody really knows who took the shot at Walker. It should not, though, be put exclusively at the door of Lee Oswald, when there is so much information to doubt that conclusion. It is unlikely that he would have been convicted in a court of law. It has been speculated that the Walker shooting was even a staged event to highlight Walker's political causes and portray him as a victim. Did the framing of Lee Harvey Oswald for the assassination of President Kennedy begin with the events on April 10, 1963? It is possible and likely. As always with the JFK assassination, there are more questions than answers, but we must keep asking and trying to answer them. Had Oswald not been murdered in police custody, perhaps many of those questions would already have been answered or would never have needed to be asked in the first place. Once again, some of these answers to many questions that we have was taken with Lee Oswald to the grave. We'll see you next week.